Why would you look outside yourself when you have all of the world inside? One, two, three, four. This is the Prying Priest Podcast, and I'm Father Yuri Hladio. You're listening to the first half of an unedited interview about the personal stories of amazing people and why they have come to believe what they do. The second half of these interviews are reserved for patrons only. If you like this show, visit my website, pryingpriest.com, for more content and to learn how you can become a patron of the show. Enjoy the first half of this interview. Welcome, Dr. Greg Weeb, to the Prying Priest Podcast. This has been a long time coming. Yeah. You're you f- you, you one of the first people I... I uh, you're amongst the first people on the first list that I had to have on the podcast. Okay. Is that right? When did you get yeah. in touch with me first about this? This had, had to be in August. Okay. Summer. Maybe September. We were in... Yeah. We were in COVID. Yeah. Oh, well, well within COVID. COVID is okay. the reason why I started podcasting. Oh, Okay. Yeah, because it actually gave me time and space to like, oh, what, what am I going to do with my time? Well, I've always wanted to podcast and then basically coming up with the, the show. That, that's yeah. a thing you said to yourself. Hey, I always wanted to podcast. Yeah, I've, I mean, I always wanted to podcast huh. because I like listening to podcasts. Yeah. So then I, I, on my website, it actually describes uh, me as somebody who I, I only create podcasts I wish already existed. Uh-huh. <laughs> so this is one of... <laughs> This is one of four podcasts that I have published at the, at the current moment. Um, so I'm diving whole hog. Beauty. Whole Keep hog. going. Keep going. So I first met you a while back. I was still living in Winnipeg and you were in we Hamilton, were Hamilton, which yep. is currently the opposite arrangement. Yep. Uh, do you remember that meeting we had? I, uh, yes, generally, but not specifically. Um, <clears throat> but it was at All Saints of North America. And, um, yeah, you were in visiting. You're some fellow that others thought I needed to be introduced to. Yep. That's yep. what I remember. I think I, I talked to you and Dan Opperwall. Probably. And yep. our listeners can go back and listen to Dr. Daniel Opperwall's interview. Uh-huh. Um, so you and Dan are our friends. Very close. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's where I met him as well. Oh, it is. Yeah. So you, yeah. Knew, you knew you were connected there. Why were you? Why were you connected there? I I knew I was visiting. I I don't remember why in particular that Sunday, but I knew there was that was the English speaking church in Hamilton. So gotcha. I came. I I knew Father Jeffrey uh, Coors from uh, early early childhood actually. Oh okay. So he he came into the church uh, at St Vlad's here in Hamilton while I was at St Vlad's. Right. So, so yeah, because yeah. he introduced. I think he introduced us like he knew you. Like a long yes. time. Yeah, so he knew, he knew me when I was a little, a little boy. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. right. And then, uh, and then we wouldn't have seen each other for years. Maybe you stopped, by, maybe you stopped in once or twice like that. I, I while stopped I was in, in Hamilton. twice, I think. Yeah. And then I wouldn't have seen you for at least a couple of years mm-hmm. until I showed up in Narrow, St. Nicholas, Nicholas Orthodox Church in Narrow. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Can you, can you maybe give a bit? Before we get into maybe earlier memories from your life, can uh-huh. you give a, a, a bit of a recent journey in terms of cities and education and family? Like, give a little bit of a a little bit of an outline. Yeah. Okay. So the overall picture is that um, I was married uh, to my wife Amanda in 2005, 
uh, in Winnipeg. We met at university here at Canadian Mennonite University. And in 2007, we moved to Hamilton and I did a master's, uh, a master of arts in religious studies there. And then I, I went on to do my PhD in religious studies there, same department, same office, the whole bit. So we were there from 2007 to 2013. So we were in Hamilton. We lived in Hamilton for six years. Um, and then my funding ran out and Amanda needed to work and she had family in Regina who could give her a job that paid her decently enough that it could support us while I finished. So we moved to Regina for the last two years. I did all my writing uh, 2013 to 2015, finished up then. And uh, it was pretty clear that our time in Regina was done in 2015. I finished, we moved, I defended. Um, we decided we wanted to move back to Winnipeg. That felt like home. And it was around that time, and I guess we'll get into that too, um, but that, that move sort of facilitated uh, our, our move as a family towards orthodoxy. So basically in the fall of 2015, I, had, I was uh, a newly minted PhD, and we showed up that September, I think, in, in Narol at St. Nicholas Orthodox Church. We, we bounced around just for a few weeks between the, the, the two or three um, English-speaking parishes in Winnipeg, um, but pretty quickly we felt connected to, to uh, St. Nicholas. So, And that's where you were, and that's where we found ourselves. So that was in 2015. And since then, I, you know, I've, I had bounced around uh, different kinds of work trying to figure out what to do as a PhD. In 2018, yeah, three years ago, three years ago now, this January, I've, I wound up back at Canadian Mennonite University in academic administration. So I work there part-time, and we've been at St. Nicholas since 2015, and uh, in the last couple of years since you left, uh, I've been the principal choir director, cantor type person. Yeah. I did not put together a succession plan when I was leaving. <laughs> you know, I don't, like, I don't, if you would have tried, I don't know what you would have done otherwise. I, I, I know, but I, I sort of feel bad. Like, you know, I, I knew a year and a half in advance of leaving that I was going to leave. Like uh -huh. I could tell you the date we would move a year and a half in advance. And I put zero effort into putting together a succession plan for somebody to take over the choir directing duties at St. Nicholas. That's pretty funny. So I mean, if, I, if if you would have told me any earlier, I don't know that that would have helped. <laughs> right. I knew. I knew. I knew that you always wanted to give it space. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a tough job. Being a choir director is really difficult. Uh, there's there's a shocking amount of like interpersonal negotiation that you have to do. Yeah. Right. Because there's I, yeah. There's like egos involved. There's people. Mm -hmm. There's um, there's traditions and religious traditions. And religious traditions, pe people are very sensitive about their religious traditions, mm -hmm. right? People get offended, you know, when you when you don't say Merry Christmas, you know, so things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, in a choir context in church, that can be a very very sensitive place to try and make any kind of adjustments or changes or or anything like that. Yeah, I think. I think it's gone better for me. I think you ran interference a lot for me. I think you ran a ton of interference. I think that a lot of uh, 
a lot of the a lot of the difficult negotiations, the most difficult negotiations, were probably already done. There's been a little bit since then, but I've more or less just been able to build on on build on what you. Uh, well, you didn't really start it, but like you did a you did a transformative thing. Uh, really crossing. For, I mean, and this of course is before my time, so I don't really. I'm not really saying this in terms of firsthand knowledge, but but the clear sense is that you that that there was a big transition from St. Nicholas being a, an old sort of country parish with a lot of gray heads to, to a, a parish that's very much a family parish. It has exploded as a family parish. And so there was, so all those traditions and all those, um, uh, all those, all those battles that wound up getting fought. I think you fought a lot of them in that transition and I've been able to sort of take, take it from there. And it really has quieted down. And I think a lot, a big part of that, in terms of those little conflicts, which are which are fine, and they're you know that's that's part of the that's part of the business. And I don't begrudge anybody, um, I don't begrudge anybody their their sense of how things should go. But but um, I think a big part a big part of the reality is that some of the oldest members of the church have passed away, um, and uh, and otherwise moved on, and. On a Sunday morning, if we were ever to get, you know, back together on a Sunday morning again, which of course will never happen, ninety um, percent of the people there, ninety-five percent of the people there, would be under the age of fifty, all with children and 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 mm-hmm. whatever. So, it's a very different parish, and so, and so yeah. people who might have wanted to, who might have wanted to, pick some battles, pick some fights, don't. There's just less of a an incentive to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, let's maybe go back in time, back in time here a little bit to, uh, can I just share a story about you that I have? <laughs> sure. Go for it. I'd love to hear it. We'll, we'll see if you, uh, approve this story for publication or not. Uh, no, we were, I don't remember why at all we were hanging out at some point, maybe went to a brewery or, or, or something. This is when I was still living in Winnipeg. And you were you were driving, and, and we get in the car, and you had always seemed you you were this like PhD uh, PhD uh, you just earned your PhD you have this um, aura of intellect in, intellect, yes. and, and you were coming into the church, and you were asking the questions, and you would ask me, you know, because you were trying to navigate this whole coming into this weird Orthodox church thing, you were asking me questions, yeah, um, yeah, and and so we we always had these more. We didn't have very down-to-earth talks necessarily. It was more like theological things like that. And then we get in the car and you just put in like some heavy metal music <laughs> at one point. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, I've learned something about Greg today. <laughs> Do you like uh, heavy metal? So yeah, that, that's I, great. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm an old metal head. I got out of it for a long time because I, I studied music. Like I, I studied jazz and classical trumpet. That was my early undergraduate. That was my the first thing I thought was my career path, um, and that took me away from metal. But I've I've slowly sort of come back to it over the years. Come back home. Yeah, more recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so <laughs> let, let's. That's just my one story sharing about learning yeah, more great. about you. But um, let's go back a bit. So your last name is Weeb, so that would be a Mennonite heritage. Yes. Yep. That's right. And you and, and did you grow up in Winnipeg? I grew up in Winnipeg. That's right. So my my background is Mennonite brethren, 
And um, for those who don't know what that is, uh, in in the large sort of family of traditions that are uh, in the Anabaptist tradition, this is kind of in the evangelical, not kind of, it really is. It's very much an evangelical Anabaptism. So very, very influenced by pietism and and at least to a certain extent revivalism but um you know an evangelical evangelical anabaptism so my sunday morning uh ex- my sunday morning experiences growing up transferred from singing hymns and uh singing hymns and uh you know having a sermon to to the uh to the rock concert and a lecture format of of church worship mm-hmm. yeah did you like it when you were young Jeez, I was a people pleaser. I don't know that I liked it. I I don't. I wouldn't say looking back that I didn't like it. It just was what it was. Mm-hmm. I saw my older siblings. I'm the I'm the third of three, and I saw my older siblings bristling, bristling and 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 chomping at the bit a little bit more, and I let them do that thing. I was, I was uh, always more inclined to please my parents, I think, than either of them were. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I mean, it was kind of, it was, yeah, I thought it, it just was what it was. Mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so you grew up in Winnipeg. So uh, Winnipeg is a big center for Mennonites. So yeah. like, was was your surrounding, you know, friend group, family, like all part of that tradition? Well, yes and no. I mean, um, the family friends were were church friends for sure. Um, my own friends, like I went to public school, so being Mennonite wasn't wasn't a big uh, wasn't a big thing in my in my own like growing up as a as, as a youth. Um, but you know, mom and dad's friends were friends from church. But the thing that the thing you have to realize, though, is that is that for MBs being like being evangelical, like part of what that means uh, is a, a kind of resistance to excessive cultural trappings, um, a kind of resistance to um, re- reducing Christianity to to those cultural manifestations, right? A little bit of uncomfortableness at, at sort of the, at being ethnically Mennonite or, or whatever. And so, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't a strong, like we didn't speak low German. We didn't, you know, lots of the things that um, we, you know, we had some of the foods, but like I hang out with Mennonites now plenty and they have all sorts of foods and all sorts of traditions and all sorts of phrases and words and things that they grew up with. I didn't grow up with any of those. Um, so it wasn't being Mennonite was it wasn't being Mennonite like that for us growing up. Was there like did you always take your faith seriously, or was there a time where you sort of decided to take your faith seriously? I hope that question makes sense. Yeah, it does. Well, now I have to think. I'm thinking back even further than I was thinking when I was thinking about thinking back when I was preparing for this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, good question. In general, I would say I, I kind of always took it seriously, at, appropriate to the level of my age. When I so I was baptized, I had a Mennonite brother in baptism. 
how old was that? Uh, Twenty. That was in the that was in the two thousands, two thousand one, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I had university friends who were there, so I was university age when I was when I was baptized, and that was it. Wasn't um, you know I would have struggled a bit, like in that in that culture. Um, this is the evangelicalism that comes out. Like you, 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 you don't get baptized without standing up in front of everyone and telling your faith story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to do that. Like first, you tell it to the the church council, and then you tell it to the whole congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, and lots of them, and and you know, like the culture of the the culture of the faith story. The um, what's the term I'm looking for? Um, Testimony. Testimony. Thank you. Uh, the culture of the testimony is, you know, I once was lost, but now I'm found, mm-hmm. right? And so I would have struggled at that time to to articulate any sort of significant lostness. It would have been, um, I would guess, if I could find out what I wrote to to speak out to to say in front of everyone. I would guess that I probably I set, I focused on a, a kind of taking ownership of what I had grown up in. So it was it was it was more of a, a, a you know a claiming of of the faith that was already there. Mm. Yeah, what would be what would be the Coles Notes version of the testimony that you gave? Oh man. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I could say much more than that. Well, you know, uh Yeah, I don't know if I could say much more than that. Just I was lack of lack of remembering or what? Partly, yeah, lack of lack of memory. Like, yeah, I mean, I I would wind up being vague. So I was kind of on my way out of a bad relationship at that point. Uh, I think she. I think we were still together because I think she was at my baptism. That baptism. That my ex girlfriend. Um. But I think it was like. Rubber was hitting the road for me in terms of what I was taking seriously, um, and that would have been part of that would have been part of what drove us apart because she wasn't she wasn't a Christian, mm-hmm. uh, and and I, I I mean I would have already had a, a kind of an earnestness about me that that would have been quite alien to be alien to a lot of people, but including including her. So uh, yeah, so I can't say much more just because I don't remember, but. It, that it would have been that mm-hmm. really kind of a, a a reckoning of like what what my priorities are. Mm-hmm. I know a lots of Mennonites who were baptized, let's say between the age of like twelve and fifteen or so, mm-hmm. twelve and sixteen. Why were you not baptized earlier? Why did you wait till you were in your twenties? Is that normal in that tradition? Oh, to wait till you're in your twenties, or I don't know how it is now. It wouldn't have been. Te- it wasn't terribly abnormal then, although it. it Do people start asking questions when you turn sixteen, being like, "Hey, you know, the clock, your biological clock is ticking. Yeah. <laughs> your spiritual biological clock." <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, people didn't. I don't remember feeling particularly nudged. I think my parents. My parents were always. Um, you know, and they were they were pious. You know, Dad was a big wig in the in the Mennonite Brethren Church in the Canadian Conference of MB Churches. Um, and so there were, you know, there was there was, certainly would have been a desire, but like they were really sensible about it and, and exercised, I think, quite a lot of wisdom and just and gave all their kids 
uh, space, just loved us and 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 wanted uh, wanted that to happen, but didn't didn't push it. Knew it wasn't their it wasn't their their call to make uh, in that culture. Yeah. When I use the phrase "a memorable church service," what is something that comes to your mind when you're thinking about going to church in kind of the your youth, your young adulthood? Just the phrase "interesting church service." Uh, <laughs> I remember. I mean one of one of the strongest memories I have. Uh, I would have been about that age, late teens, early twenties, university age, probably. And our the associate pastor had had a sermon that involved um, a table full of shampoo and conditioner products. Okay. And I couldn't tell you for the life of me what the hell that sermon was about. <laughs> but it was this, it was just the, the most ridiculous, uh, <laughs> you know, sermon concept. That's like, you know, what comes when you're sort of desperately trying to be relevant and, and have, <laughs> have an insightful thought that connects to every day. And it just doesn't, it's like it's one of those memories, you know. It's 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 pivotal. I I don't know that it was pivotal at the moment, but it's the kind of thing you look back and it's like, yeah, that was. I was never going to last forever there. That's that's not going to yeah, do it. Yeah. That ain't going to do it for like, me. Uh, it's like somebody came up with the 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 imagery of the shampoo and everything, and then tried to make a sermon like fit that. That's and right. Like, do whatever they could to make it fit. Bingo. Yeah, that's right. It was like it was a, it was it would have been a cliche like uh, idea or insight about how about how this reflects some reality, and then you and then you turn it. You know what what should what should take you five seconds then gets spun into a twenty minute sermon, quite inappropriately. <laughs> um, I was relatively argumentative in my younger days. Okay. Uh, because because I was an Orthodox kid that grew up in a non-Orthodox context, so yeah. so my my choices were either to just be like, well, my faith doesn't matter, or to like dig my heels in and be like, I'm right, you're wrong, and that's just the way life is. Uh -huh. um, so were you ever argumentative at all about matters of faith? Uh, with with my parents or with others? Uh, yeah, anybody. Not probably. Well, not with my parents, but. Sometimes with others, yeah. I remember. I remember getting into discussions about things I knew nothing about, but you know, was was pretty sure I was right. Mm -hmm. Oh, geez, yeah. Especially when I was learning about pacifism, and I was really mm -hmm. getting into it as a as a university student, mm -hmm. um, studying in a Mennonite context. You know, it was, yeah. I don't know if I don't know if I have I don't know if I have any good stories. Although I'm sure I made, I definitely remember making making someone cry in the course mm. of a in the course of a conversation, talking yeah, about what would what would you do you know these what would you do if kind of scenarios, right, yeah. getting people all upset. <laughs> it's well, some of those moments are the times where I wish there was somebody in the room that put their hand on my shoulder and said, "Yuri, read the room." <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like me, in terms of my personality, I can go either way. 
Like one of the things that would make me apprehensive about a conversation like we're having is that I might actually say say what I think publicly in a public forum for like the first time. Because I, mm. you know, because I... We'll, we'll save that for the Patreon only. Yeah, it sounds good. <laughs> because, you know, again, I'm now, I'm working at Canadian Mennonite University, CMU. I have a lot of wonderful colleagues, Mennonite colleagues, um, and there, and a lot of them are, are very lovely people who hold opinions that I think are abhorrent. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And I just bite my tongue because it's not my, you know, unless someone's going to ask me, like, I'm not going to volunteer. Right. There's a time and a place. A mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a time and a place. And, 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 my, and my heuristic is, is if no one's looking at me or asking me, then now is not the time or place. Yeah. But there, but then there is a part of me that if you get me going, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to start saying things and I won't. And, and, and like, the thing is, I really, you know, uh, I'm a, I'm a PhD, but I don't, I don't read lots and lots and, and devour material. What I do is I take, I take things and, and like digest them and own them. And so once mm. I have, once I have, once I have thought through something and, and figured, I figured I've got a sense for what's going on about what's true about it. Like I'm not, I'm not going to let that go. So if you do, so most of the time I'll, I'll keep my, I'll keep my thoughts to myself, but if you get me going, then, then we'll, you know, there may be an issue. <laughs> okay. Well, that's the, that's, that's the incentive for everyone listening to go and become a patron of the show because I'll do my best to get uh, Dr. Weeb here going. Um, could, uh, so when was the first time, I guess, what was one of the biggest challenges to your faith? Um, did you ever have a time of, uh, so I had earlier uh, in November, I had Dr. Gail Woloshak on from okay. um, the States, Orthodox scientist and theologian. Okay. And and she was talking about when she was in university for, she tried to do it for six months or a year or something like that um, to do an experiment and to live as an atheist. Oh, interesting. Right? Because she was, she grew up a practicing Orthodox Christian. Yeah, yeah. So, so she was just like, she would catch herself starting to pray and be like, oh, wait, I can't do that. Oh, interesting. Like, because I'm, in, uh, I, I'm I, I need to live like an atheist for however much. If you want to hear that story, go back to uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that episode. But uh, yeah, were there any times in your life where you left the church, you left faith, or you were like seriously challenged in your faith? And what was it? Well... <laughs> Aside from, yeah, aside from like stuff growing up, um, you know, there's, there's a certain rhythm, uh, I think as you, as you grow up and mature, like that's, it, it's a, it's a difficult question because, because what do you, like, what are you asking me about? What do you, what do you mean my faith? Like how, what, what are, what are we talking right. about my faith? The, the way that you, I, I guess the way that I would say is when did you feel challenged in terms of the way that you were living your life in terms of faith so that that could be uh challenge in-house challenges so to speak right so for me that would have been talking to mennonites for the first time and and them saying because okay. you know them saying you know constantine the great was such a bad guy and i'm like wait wait he's a saint in our church like, <laughs> yeah all, all of a sudden there's this conflict right yeah so i guess do you have any memories or stories yeah. about experiences of conflict 
I'm not saying that there were arguments or anything, but just things that bothered you. Like when, like when you ask the, that question, the most, the most difficult, the most difficult, um, the most difficult period that comes to mind, uh, other than right now, um, is like the my me me starting on the path towards orthodoxy. That was the challenge mm-hmm. to my faith. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was. I was really, I felt really loyal. My sense was like loyalty to the church in which I was a member. I was a baptized member, a Mennonite Brethren Church. That that was like a a near absolute good, functionally an absolute good. And so there there were some stages where, there were some stages where that had to be broken down that were really challenging. And, and so it wouldn't be, so in that sense, it's not a story of like, here, here's how I, here's how I was challenged in my faith and then overcame it because I wound up, because the faith I had in fact wound up collapsing. Right. And I think, I think it's for the best. I think it was for a higher good and a higher truth, but that's, you know, whereas, and I, you know, I started by saying other than now, I mean, it's like the, the realizing day to day or week to week or month to month, like having how much you have to get your shit in order to be a Christian is as far as I can tell, just the, that's the lifelong vocation of the calling of being, being a Christian. And so that, you know, it's like, what are, are you, what are you willing to do? What are you really willing to do? So that's an ongoing challenge. Um, but that is some, like I mean I, that's its own that's its own kind of thing and that's I don't want to I don't want to use that to kind of evade the spirit of the question, but I you know when I was really young I do remember having a, a kind of experience of like feeling like God wasn't there and and that like that which was really meaningful. It was never but but in in confronting in confronting we're talking about out, like external challenges to the faith that make you, that sort of rock rock the foundations of what you think is. Um, true and orderly, like that was that was my discovery of orthodoxy. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't what? know, I don't know where how you want to get how you want to get into the into the story, mm-hmm. but like one of the because okay, so take so um, to sort of be to to be in the middle of it to start in the middle of it. Um, I had I had started to I had been introduced to orthodoxy. Um, Dan, Dan Opperwell, uh, introduced, invited me to, to all saints of North America for the first time. So I had, we had been sort of dabbling in it and, um, and, uh, and I was, I was growing more and more interested, more and more inclined. And, but there was this, there was this moment where, you know, I was, it really, it really, um, tied in with what the, the work I was doing as a PhD student, the, the, the writing work I was doing, uh, working on Augustine, uh, working on Augustine's demonology. And at one point I wrote a paper and it was, it was clear, it was becoming clear to me as I was writing this paper, it was a, it was to be an article published in a, in an edited volume, which has been, which has been published now. Um, and and I was writing on Augustine and demons, and it was it was becoming increasingly clear to me that um, one one of one of the one of the things that constitutes 
you know, demon worship or service to demons for Augustine was to know to know the truth, to see the truth, um, uh, uh, but to resist it, to see the truth, but sort of cover it over for the sake of a noble the noble lie, right? There's the this Platonic noble lie, um, um, this the political noble lie that you know the the philosophers and and this is the this is one of the tropes of City of God uh, uh, that the philosophers have this insight into God, but realize that it's not very practical, not very useful for governing and ordering society. So you, so you sort of blanket over and obscure what is true uh, for the greater good, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. And Augustine's like, that's demonic. But it just became clear that like, to see the truth and not pursue it and not follow it is demonic. But that was exactly where I was as a Christian exploring orthodoxy. Like it had become, by that point, you know, uh, by that point, it had become really clear to me the the truth and the beauty of orthodoxy. But I was still like a Mennonite or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's like that's demonic. Like, there's I can't I can't think of a more profound not because being Mennonite is demonic, but because like you see you all, like all of a sudden you see where you've got to go. You see what's what's right, and when you do, when you know the pearls in the field, if you ignore it, like what are you doing? If you know the pearl is in the field, and you don't sell everything you have to buy the field, then what are you doing? And so that was, it was one of those moments. Um, yeah. So it wasn't like it wasn't a, like a, I I have faith, and then it was challenged. It was, it was, you know, it was, you know, world falling apart as they should, I think. Mm -hmm. Was that experience you were just talking about something that happened over like a short period of time or was it a long period of time? Well, I think, you know, it was one of, um, it was one of a, of a, a, a one of a few key moments, but as a moment, it would have you know what what does it take to how long does it take to write a paper? You know, there's a buildup, but I suppose I do. You know, <laughs> there's probably a moment sitting at my makeshift desk up in my bedroom in in Hamilton on Lime Ridge Crescent, Lime Ridge Road, whatever it was, Lime Ridge Road East. Um. When I was, it was like, there was probably a moment within a, within a, within a frame of moments, <laughs> if that makes any sense. <laughs> but there's buildup, right? It's, it's context. Like you got, and that's the thing, that's the, that's the beautiful thing about, about scholarship and study and, and theology as a, as a kind of as a kind of spiritual practice, a kind of spiritual growth. Like you invest in it, you invest in it. And I've always found it more natural. I'm not, I'm not a natural prayer. Um, and I know you can't, you can't sort of, no, no Christian can be a Christian without praying, without being a prayer. So you've got to work on it. But I always found it more natural to read and study. But there's like a there's a huge investment, and that that's what that's what's so beautiful about it is you invest, you study, and you think, and then you know after 
after days, months, years of investing in just to be able to figure out what's going on in a text or set of texts, then there's these moments. Right, so there's a whole context of that it's involved in reading Augustine and figuring out what he means and what are the different things that intersect with it and, and how and how this all relates and 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 uh, and and then and then you get you you know once once things are all hooked up then there's this moment when it when it clicks when you when you're at that crossroads when you're at the point of the cross and the different and the different threads have come together you know it's the the philosophy his ecclesiology uh um you know the theology of the trinity uh you, you know whatever whatever it is that's all coming together and it's like it's and that's what allows it to be life changing that's what allows one moment to work is all this that, that all this else that goes into it why is it that it clicked for you and it doesn't click for other people. Glory to God, man. <laughs> uh, blessed are, are uh, what, how does it go? Blessed are the feet of the, the messenger. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's a little, rare it's a little rare i'm a bit of a i I, i've always felt a bit out of place as an academic like in a certain sense i can do the work but i'm not like a lot of other academics one of the things being i mentioned like you know being a voracious reader i just am not a voracious reader i like to sit and think um, and really, I do consider myself more of a churchman than than an academic, uh, pure, purely speaking. Although I mean, I don't want I don't I don't want any false I don't want to project false humility. I I'm a capable writer. I've I've written a book that is you know being picked up by by Oxford University Press. Like I'm not I can do I I've been able to play that game. But one of the things that does set me apart. Or it makes me feel, it doesn't set me apart. What it does is make me feel all alone. Um, is is like instead of instead of reading lots and lots and 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 falling into thinking instead. That's a bit of a silly dichotomy to to make, but so to speak. What I what I wound up bringing to academics is what what I what I don't see a lot of others bringing to it, which is, which is, a, which is taking it seriously for its meaning, you know, taking the things I read seriously for me, for my life. So I've always, I've, I've, the thing, the thing that has drawn me into academics most substantially is like, you know, eventually finding my way to the church fathers, um, and reading and and, and devouring the, the 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 doctrines of the fathers as as food of that are, that I find I find very nourishing, right? Um, and so and so my 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 course as an academic, my my work as a PhD student is really like the the book I wrote on Augustine's demonology is closely intertwined with my with my um journey to orthodoxy and that's not how a lot of academics do their work this is just not what they do right like and i i don't know uh people just do what they do you know you you 
get your projects and you have a, have your questions that you want to investigate and you investigate them and and then try to put it out there for the for the for the world you know great but for me the thing the, the one of the big motivators i even said this in intro in intro classes in 701 um uh, introduction to the study of, of religion or whatever it is we called it you know you have all the other people there who are studying buddhism other people who are studying uh you know chinese religions whatever and as a naive uh, young master student, I asked, like, why do you? Why does anyone study any of this if you're not like? Why would you study Buddhism if you're not a Buddhist? I get that more now, but for for me, there's some there's something at my core that's like I'm doing this for for me internally, um, and that's just not that's just not that common. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when when you go to university and you're studying physics, they're teaching you to be a physicist. Yeah. When you study biology, they're teaching you to be a biologist. When you study psychology, they're teaching you to be a psychologist. When you study religion, they're teaching you to whoa, study be religion. <laughs> you can't and be that's, religious. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, and that was there was space for me at McMaster to do that because of my supervisor. Uh, Travis and he, you know, Travis is like that too. Tra- um, took things seriously for what for what they meant existentially. He did, and that and that was, I think, that was important. Uh, that was important for making space for people like me to do my thing. And then the discipline was, well, you can't, you can't. This can't just be all about. Um, my emoting or my my opinions about religion like you actually have to study texts now and you have to do whatever whatever you think is an insight you have to you have to justify it in terms of a reading of a text it can't you can't appeal to religious authorities like it has to be an academic work and that was, there's a there's a real discipline there that is incredibly value because uh, you know the, the 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 faith of my youth um would have would have uh what am i trying to say it i would have been very natural to me to just appeal to religious authority about what's what's true and 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 what the church teaches or whatever but you can't do that like you gotta you gotta, if you're gonna read augustine you gotta read augustine so mm-hmm. it makes it forces you it forces you to be very clear about what what's happening and what isn't what is what what are you reading and what are you not reading mm-hmm. so yeah, so we got uh, you know about three, three, four minutes left in this public interview. Before I ask you the last question, though, I do want to tease the listeners for what I'm going to be talking, what I'm going to be asking you in the Patreon exclusive. Okay. Shoot. So, so um, as some of our listeners might know, that um, Orthodox Christianity has a tenuous relationship with this historical figure named Augustine of Hippo. <laughs> so, uh, I we're going to talk a little bit about. The fact that you're Orthodox and you love Augustine, because uh, there's a lot of Orthodox that don't like him. So we can kind of investigate that, parse that out. Um, I'm also going to ask maybe a bit more personally about whether you've kind of thought about maybe taking more of a leadership role within the church. Uh. Um, so, you know, that kind of that kind of question. Um, and uh, yeah, I think those would be kind of the two big ones that, that I'm going to ask about, which I think will take up a, a significant chunk. Um, well, it feels before, like we're just getting going now. So the fact that the that the public part is almost done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you wanna if you wanna be a patron, you go to primepriest.com/support, and then you can become a patron, and you'll actually get uh, access to all the backlogged episodes too. So, uh, so Doctor Weeb, Greg, 
let's take it like really personal here. Go for it. R- really personal. Uh, have you ever had what you would characterize as a spiritual experience? Oh, sure. But I'm expansive about what I what I think is spiritual. But I think what you but but what what you're trying to ask. I mean, you're trying you're trying to 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 find a a dramatic event. The thing that maybe, com- but well, well, I mean, what would you define then as as spiritual? Well, I def- I, I mean, well, what is what is the what is the role of the, the Holy Spirit to show you to show you the the true show you inwardly the truth of of, of things, right? Um, to reveal to to jeez, uh, I'm forgetting all my biblical lines, um, but to reveal reveal truth. Um, and so all there's, there's a lot of, a lot of my work. That's a very, that's very mundane work over long periods of time that I would consider spiritual, spiritual movement. But the thing that I think of when you ask that question, um, there was certainly, there have certain, there have been moments, there have been moments. The one that comes most to mind, there was a moment in, at All Saints of North America, just sitting there minding my own business and um, it was in the midst of my journey to orthodoxy, very, you know, very interested, very, very, you know, I th- was probably still at the point of thinking like I could take insights from orthodoxy back to the Mennonite brethren, back to my church, you know, really like what's going on here. I think we could learn a lot from it. And Father Jeffrey's sermons were always very sort of matter of fact and practical, you know encourage you in the fast, that kind of thing. There was a moment when he's like, you know, it's all, it's all well and good to be, uh, to be interested in orthodoxy. It's all well and good to, to learn, read the, read the fathers. It's all good, well and good to, to, um, to, to explore and investigate and inquire. But then he's like, but unless you become orthodox and, uh, and receive the sacraments and take part in the life of the church as an Orthodox Christian, you you don't have you don't have the fullness of ac- of access to to God's grace. I don't remember the exact terms he used, but it was like unless you become Orthodox, then you're not quite doing it yet, and you're leaving something on the table. And it was like an arrow shot through my heart. It's like those words were for me. I always thought of that as being a, a, an angelic moment, right? A, a moment of God's messaging. Absolutely. It was like, I felt like I was having a heart attack. And it's, you know, it's little moments like that, that you don't, you don't, you don't know when they're coming. Um, but they make, they make a big difference because now all of a sudden you got to, you got to change your life. You've just finished listening to the first half of this interview. Find out how to access the second half by visiting my website, pryingpriest.com. We'll see you next time. Say, why would you look outside yourself when you have all of the-